Okay, we're going verse by verse through Romans right now. And this little section helps us immensely with a concept that would flow from the way that we received the gospel. When you, if you're a Christian today, there was a moment in time where you placed your faith in Christ and you became born again, a believer, uh, you were changed. The inside of you was changed. You left Adam and you came into Christ. You were, the Romans 3 tells us, under sin, but now you are forgiven and justified. You were under law, but now you are under grace. And it might have taken you a while to get to that point where you made the decision to place your faith in Christ, but when that moment came, it was an instant or a moment in time, you might, even as you look back on it, might not even necessarily know the exact date, or the exact moment, or you might be able to look back at an exact moment and date, but God most certainly has that moment in time in his mind, in your life, where you were shifted from death into life, from darkness into light. But a lot of times what can happen in us then is that we, since that's the way that we were saved, that's the way that we entered into the faith, that's the way we were converted, that's the way we were uh, born again and justified, there was this moment in time, we tend to think, or we can think, about a lot of different elements in our own now Christian life in that same kind of way, where there are these instantaneous moments where God does this like massive thing in our life and then we're never the same uh, after that. Uh, maybe a way of thinking about this, I've, I've said this from time to time, but uh, I think maybe a way of thinking about this is the, if God wants to send me to Africa syndrome. And what I mean by that, and I'm not picking on Africa or anything like that, but it tends to be a place that a lot of times believers will point out and they'll basically say, you know, I love God. I love Jesus. I'm so thankful for what he's done for me. And if he ever wants to send me to Africa, then he can't. Or, you know, fill in the blank, someplace that maybe you're not naturally inclined to go sell everything, give your life, and go move to a place like that. And someone might say that kind of thing. And kind of the way that the, the thought goes is, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to, like, do my thing. And if a moment comes where God, you know, just decides that he's got, you know, plans for me and he wants to send me, then, like, I'm game. And I'm willing, and then like at that moment, I will sell everything and I'll move to maybe a place that's difficult for me to go to and imagine myself being in. And that can happen, but it usually doesn't happen. Usually it's not one big decision that a person makes, it's a million small decisions. A million small decisions of sanctification and growth, of saying yes to Jesus. He puts a new thing in front of us. We say yes, and we enter in. And as we progress, as we sanctify, as we grow, and as a person continues to walk with the Lord, and all these opportunities open up for them, and they're now mentoring somebody, or they're now leading a group, and then they shift into learning in a deeper way how to understand and study and teach God's Word. And as they say yes over time, then eventually it's a kind of a natural flow of, and now we think the next step in our lives is to move to such and such a place and to preach the gospel in a, in a place like that in this kind of way and everything like that. So you get what I'm saying. I think a lot of times in our minds, though, we think, 
If that instant ever comes, I'll do it. But the Lord is saying, no, there's a million different decisions to get to that place. That's the life of sanctification that Paul wants to take us into. A life where we are just continually walking with the Lord, saying yes to him, and watching him work in our lives. Now, the fascinating thing that Paul is going to teach us about today, or that God's word is going to show us today, is that uh, basically slavery to sin... The principles that were there when we were enslaved to sin, a lot of the same principles actually can apply now in your walk with God, a slavery to righteousness and a slavery uh, to God. So that's what we're going to look at today and see how we can really throw ourselves into this process. So it starts with a question, verse 15. How do we get into this process? We have to answer a question first, verse 15. He says, what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And then he answers the question when he says, by no means. Now, Paul had asked a question like this earlier in chapter 6, right? He'd already said, should we continue in sin so that grace can abound? In other words, God, when we sin, as believers, God's grace is present. He's forgiving. He's gracious. He's merciful. So should we sin more so that God has more opportunities to be forgiving? So should we sin more so that grace could abound? And Paul already there said, certainly not. We like know the answers to these questions before he answers them. He's going to say, no, absolutely not. It's not a way to live. Here he asks a question that's similar. He says, are we to sin, verse 15, because we are not under law, but under grace. Verse 14 that we studied last week, he said that sin will have no dominion over you because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. So his question now is, since we're under grace, should we have some sin in our lives? And actually, the original Greek language that he's using, the way that he's writing that, it probably would accurately be said that he's saying, should we sprinkle a little bit of sin into our lives now that we are under grace? Now, probably a lot of you didn't walk around asking that kind of question this week, but maybe some other ways to think about this. The question would be, should we, why would we take sin seriously? We've got God's favor. We've got God's grace. He's for us. We have peace with God. We have been forgiven by God. We have been justified by God. We've been transferred from Adam into Christ. If we have all of these things and he's dealt with the massive sin problem and separating us from God eternally, if Jesus has dealt with us with that, then why take sin seriously? Or maybe another way to ask this question, we might say, since I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace, wouldn't obedience be acting like I'm under the law? If I'm obedient to God, isn't that a form of legalism before God? Isn't that a form of restriction before God by being obedient? So shouldn't I, you know, have like a loose relationship with sin because I'm under grace? I don't want to be a legalist, so why would I want to have obedience in my life? But, of course, when Paul is answering that or asks that question, he says, no, the appropriate answer is by no means. You see, when Jesus came into your life, he changed you. And he gave you a new identity. He put a new name upon you. You have your given family name, but if you're in Jesus, if you're a believer, you are now in Christ Jesus. And with that name upon you, you have a decision. Just like anybody who comes from a great heritage, they have a decision. 
Someone that comes from a great family and, and all of that, they have a decision. Will I waste what's been given to me? Will I rebel against what's been given to me? Or will I bring honor to the name that has been given to me? And you are in Christ Jesus. And so we would say, no, certainly not. I want to honor the name that God has given to me. There are different places throughout our community where there have to be little signs have to be placed, you know, no littering or something like that. You know, you're not allowed to throw your trash around in this place. But you know one place I never need to put a sign like that? In my own house. In my own house, I don't need a sign that says no littering because this house is where I dwell. It belongs to me. And this house, our lives now, they belong to God. We want them to be clean and set apart uh, unto him. So even though he's dealt with our sin, we also still want to be a people who are clean from sin because God has given us this new and beautiful identity. Now verse 16, here's where Paul begins this second uh, movement of his argument. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So what he's saying here basically is, here's how slavery works. There's the presentation to something, and then the slavery occurs after you present yourself. Now, this is harder for us to understand because when we approach the word slavery, we usually approach it from our like American history version of slavery. And slavery there is a lifelong kind of thing, a dominating kind of thing. You could be born into slavery and usually a racial has a racial component attached to it. Maybe you've even heard people say from time to time, like, I can't believe in the Bible because it condones slavery. Well, no, people who twist the Bible have condoned slavery, but a proper understanding of what's being talked about in the Bible. In the biblical era, slavery, uh, like in the Roman Empire and culture, it was something where you, a lot of times, would actually make the decision to present yourself to a master for a period of time, sometimes in order to pay off a debt that you could not pay in and of or by yourself, you a lot of times would have a greater education than the person you were actually committing yourself to work underneath for a period of time before you got your financial flexibility and freedom. And then after a time, you could actually redeem yourself and purchase yourself out of your own commitment that you had made. It sounds a lot more similar to like a lot of the like work that a lot of you are in right now right? You know, like I'm working for my financial freedom so that I don't have to work for that guy anymore, you know, kind of thing. So, so that helps us though, because the concept that Paul is using is from that version where he's saying there's a moment of decision where a presentation happens and a person says, I will now give my body to this household and submit myself to it, I will become a slave, so to speak, in this place. And Paul is saying that when you do that in your life, you take these body parts, these members, this is what we talked about last week, you take these members and you present yourself. He says you will, what you present yourself to will take you up on the offer. So if you present yourself to sin, you'll become a slave of that. Now that part of the equation, we... I think readily understand, don't we? I mean, like we look back in the Old Testament, 
Maybe you've read or heard the story of Samson in the Old Testament, a man that was given incredible strength by God to be a deliverer for the people of Israel to help set them free from their captivities that they would get into because of sin. God gave him this ability to be basically an answer to the people's prayers. But Solomon also had lust within his heart, and when he gave himself over to those appetites, he eventually became a slave of them, and they ruined him. So we're conscious of that. We see that. You present yourself, you present your members as a slave to sin, and they can dominate over you. I think we're seeing this on like a cultural scale all over the place. We should not be a culture or a society that is surprised when we see the abuse of children, when we see the trading of human beings in the sex industry, when we see uh, rape, and when we see murder increase, and the abuse of people. We should not be surprised because that is a natural outflow from a culture that is washed in pornography. You just begin to devalue human beings and human life, and you th- there's a thought of we are free, we present ourselves, and then boom, you're enslaved. And in, so I think in one sense, we can, it's just an obvious thing to us of seeing the enslavement that our culture has entered into by thinking of and presenting themselves uh, in that kind of way. But here's the thing that Paul is announcing. So that's not the part of it that's like shocking. The part of it that's shocking is that Paul is saying to either side. So you present yourself to sin and disobedience, he says, and watch out, you'll become a slave of that. But, he says, for believers, for Christians, when you present yourself, your body, as a, to obedience, you actually become a slave of righteousness. That's a powerful reality. Paul is announcing that the same principle applies for a believer in both directions. You present yourself a slave to sin, you can become enslaved by it, but you present yourself uh, to obedience, and you can actually become a slave to righteousness. That's just a powerful, beautiful thing that Paul is announcing. He's telling us that there is hope, that there's a different kind of life, that we can live and that we can experience as we present our bodies every day to the Lord in various moments of time. I'll never forget years ago uh, when I was in my mid-20s, I had just gotten married, and I think we'd had Lauren, our first daughter, and uh, I was a youth pastor at the time, hanging out with high school students all the time. And at that moment in my time of my life, I was eating also like I was a high school student. And I had a high school student diet, and I no longer had a high school student metabolism. And, uh, and I wasn't like playing sports and all that kind of stuff. And I just didn't, my body, I just started, I didn't, wasn't feeling very good. And so some friends of mine, they, we're, we were kind of all like in a similar season of life. And we're like, you know, we got to like relearn some things here. So let's have a competition and see, you know, if we could kind of like get healthier, you know, kind of thing. And so I started this process and, you know, I started like running a little bit at that time. But the big thing was I thought I need to relearn how to eat. And I really didn't know a whole lot 
uh, about that. I mean, I knew some basic things. You know, I knew like celery is better than Taco Bell. You know, like I knew some basic stuff like that, but I, I really had never thought a whole lot about it because I, I just kind of had been able to eat like whatever and, you know, survive and all that kind of stuff. So m- actually, Christina at that point in, in my life, she, she'd taken some nutrition courses in college and stuff like that. And so she just became like my educator about like very basic things. And I was like learning how to eat properly, you know, like maybe there's, there might be a few wives out there right now that are like, I would love that golden opportunity if my husband just said, how should I be eating? Oh, well, let me tell you uh, kind of thing. But anyway, she, so she was like teaching me and I was learning and stuff like that. And, you know, over time, you know, because I mean, I grew up in a family where it was like we, uh, sweet to, a sweet tooth was just like a major thing. It's like, what's, what are we going to have for dessert for lunch? What's going to be like our afternoon treat? And what's going to be like dessert? dessert after dinner, you know, and I still struggle with the sweet tooth in a pretty significant way. I mean, once it's like, once it turns on, it turns on uh, kind of thing. But uh, like over time, like going through that, there really was like a shift that happened for me over a longer period of successive decisions. Whereas like yesterday, you know, after this little softball game, someone came up to me, they had like a big box of donuts and they're like, coach, you want a donut? Would you like a donut? And there's nothing wrong with donuts. We're selling donuts in the grill after the service. If you want a donut, I eat donuts all the time. I am pro donut. Okay. I love donuts. I'm just saying that. But in that moment, it wasn't like this thing of like, oh, gosh, I probably shouldn't. You know, it's just like, for me, I just knew like, no, I don't, no, I'll pass. You know, no thanks kind of thing. It wasn't this big struggle because there was this thing that had happened. This is what, like, that's an illustration, I'm saying, I think, of the kind of thing that Paul is introducing. You will become a slave of the thing that you present yourself to. You present yourself to disobedience and sin, you can become a slave of that. But you present yourself to God for obedience, and he's giving us this incredible hope that actually you can become a slave of righteousness. That's incredible freedom that Paul is announcing to you and to me. So a good question that we could ask of ourselves at this point is, as long as we understand that Paul is taking us in a direction and not perfection, as long as we understand that this is a process of growth in our lives, a great question we could ask is, what areas in my life am I enslaved to? Maybe another way to ask this it would be, who have I wanted to be? What areas of my life and nature and character have I admired and wanted and longed for, but perhaps I've just not come to the place of actually seeing them evidenced in my own life? And what, maybe what areas have I, with this body of mine, continually presented myself where I've become enslaved to where I'm not able to get free and actually be free for the righteousness and actually so free that I become enslaved to righteousness in that kind of way. It just becomes second nature uh, to who I am. So I think those are good questions to ask. Am I enslaved? Who do I or who did I want to be? And to just kind of begin looking at it in that kind of way. Now Paul goes on in verse 17 and he, he kind of builds on this thought by saying about the Romans. He says, verse 17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart 
to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, this kind of thing is something that Paul does a lot in his letters, at least throughout the whole New Testament. When he's writing, there are moments where he gets to a point where he wants to praise God for something. And so he just begins to do so, and he tells us why. Here, he praises God as he's writing about slavery to sin and presenting your bodies to God for righteousness. He begins praising God because what he'd heard, remember, he'd never been to Rome yet to see the Roman church, but what he'd heard about the Roman church is that they had given their bodies to God to become slaves, not of sin, but slaves of righteousness. And so he wants to praise God for that. And so he describes, though, the process that they went through. Notice it in verse 17. He says, I'm thanking God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That word obedient is a super strategic word that Paul is using at this point because it's actually a word, we actually get our English word acoustics from this word. It's a word that means to listen underneath, just like a servant who comes underneath the word of his master. So it means listening with obedience. It's like when a parent speaks to a child and says, listen to me, they're not using the word listen in like just the pure definition of the word listen in the sense of all I want you to do right now as I'm talking is I just want you to hear my words. And if they go in and then they go out, that's fine as long as you just pause for a moment, stop doing what you're doing, and hear what I'm saying. Now, when a parent says, listen to me, to their child, what they're saying is, hear what I'm saying and do what I'm saying. Come underneath the word that I am giving to you. And apparently, the Roman church, they had done that with the word of God with all of their heart. They had come to this place within the innermost foundational part of who they are, they had come to a place of saying, we will come underneath the word of our master, God, as he speaks into our lives. Uh, It's like the old uh, singer Bob Dylan said, you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. And these believers had come to a place where they said, we will come underneath the word of God himself. So I think at least part of what we can gain from the Roman church example is that we can understand that we really want to or need to present our whole self within the heart, our whole being. We need to present ourselves to our new master and his word and to come underneath it. I think this is important in our modern era for Christians because one of the things that is always under attack throughout the years uh, is uh, the doctrine of or the teaching of the inerrancy of the word of God and the authority of God's word in the life of a believer. God's word is, is an authoritative word for you and for me. We bring ourselves underneath God's word. And part of the reason that that's important is because we live in an information age. 
which is not problematic, actually. It can be very good. Uh, However, uh, we can be over-consumers of information, and that sometimes can be where the problem comes in. And if you take Scripture and you put it on the same level of influence in your life as a believer, the same level of authority in your life as a believer, as a good blog post or a good podcast or uh, a great book that came out, or something like that. If the Bible, and, or a few Bible verses, has the same level of authority in your life, then what you've done is both elevate those other voices to a place they should not be, and you've taken down the voice of God and brought it lower to a place that it should not be. No, the Roman church had come to a place of saying, the word of God has to be in the highest place. And we want to come underneath it. Like the church in Thessalonica, when Paul wrote to them in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, he said, you accepted it, the word of God, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And I think as Christians, we really actually, like in our modern time, we really have to work at that because there is, you know, there's, I mean, all truth is God's truth. And so, but, but the problem is a lot of times we don't know whether something is true until we've lined it up with God's word and we've looked to see what does God have to say. So we really do need the word of God. And it's tempting, I think, in this modern world and culture to be so inundated with good advice and good information on how to build our lives. But the Word of God needs to have authority. So maybe one thing that for, for some of you here today, maybe one great application for you would just be to go get a good study Bible. And part of the reason why I say that, the English Standard Version has a good study Bible that you can get. But part of the reason that I mention that is because I remember being a kid when my mom would make spaghetti, we would sometimes go in the kitchen, we'd take the noodles out of the pot and we'd throw them against the wall or against the refrigerator to see, you know, if they would stick to it and some would stick and some would fall. And I think sometimes a lot of believers, we read the Bible like that. Like I just kind of like try and I have no idea what's going on here, but as I'm going through it, maybe there's a verse or a like section or a word that I'm like, oh, that's nice. And sticks, and we kind of think that's cool. But the 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 danger is that you might actually be reading into the Bible something that doesn't even exist and getting a meaning from it that's not accurate. A good study Bible can help in the process as you're reading the Bible personally to see what's the background here, what is this meaning, who's this talking to, and that will maybe help you come to conclusions that are more in line with God's Word and God's Scripture. So that might be a good process for some of you to just kind of walk through. But but Paul is saying about the Roman church, you guys did it. You came under that standard of teaching and became free from sin and you became slaves of righteousness. Now, verse 19, notice what Paul says next. This is astounding. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitation. Now, this first thing here, verse 19, it's a little bit of an apology that Paul is making. You know, he's kind of like cruising through. And maybe even some of you, 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 as we're going through this, you're like, hey, you know, I don't really know that I'm excited about this analogy of a relationship with God, the analogy of slavery. 
doesn't really sound like all that enjoyable to me. Like, what about the, you know, like Jesus saying, like, come unto me, all you are heavy laden and weary, and uh, take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, I like that picture better than the slavery picture. Or what about, like, the Psalm 23 picture, you know? Like, he's the shepherd, and I'm the sheep, and he's taking me to still waters and the green pastures. Like, that sounds like a beautiful relationship with God. But when was the last time you heard heard anyone say like, you know, like God loves you and he sent his son to die for you and you can have a beautiful relationship with him. And you know what it's like? It's like slavery. I mean, like usually that's like not, not our natural way of thinking about it. So it's altogether different than slavery. That's why Paul says this, I think. He's saying, look, I'm talking in human terms. I'm trying to say something in a, in a way to where you see that there was a slavery to sin. And your slavery to God, of course, is a totally different kind of thing. It's actually freedom. But I want you to see some of the principles that were happening in the slavery to sin that are actually also true in this relationship that you have with God. And one of the things that he says here in verse 19, he says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and a lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Now you got to remember, Paul's talking to believers here. He's talking to Christians here. This is not a, a, a phrase or a concept that he's holding out to the world in general uh, because he would just say, his, in his construct, as he's going through this, he would say, there's a slavery to unrighteousness that the, the, the world is in. You can't just present yourself to get out of it. You need the gospel message to pull you out of it. But then once you receive the gospel, you can come to a place, notice this, where he says, remember how you sinned before? Remember what it was like? Remember how you presented yourself to it? And then that led to impurity and more lawlessness. Like one thing, it was like tipping the dominoes. And one thing led to more things. He says, that's the same principle that applies. And now in your relationship to God, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to more righteousness or leading to, and he uses this word, sanctification. That word, sanctification, is a word that means set apart for God. So the dream, here's the dream of a Christian. What a, what a believer is hoping for and dreaming for is the day when we will be fully sanctified to God. That, the biblical word for that is glorified. It means that there is no even ability to sin inside of us. That the body of sin is so thoroughly dealt with that we're resurrected and we're with God in his sight. That's like the dream come true for a Christian is full sanctification. So to be fully sanctified, since that's our like desire, the process of getting there in the here and now is called sanctification. So that's like our walk with God right now. It's a process of God taking you and taking me and setting us aside or apart more and more, apart from the world and sin and flesh, apart more and more unto himself. So what Paul is announcing here is the same thing that we did when we sinned is the same way that our sanctification works. And the same way that you went after your life of sin is the same way that you should be going after your life of sanctification. Stop thinking about it 
like a bolt of lightning experience where you walk in and with like a bolt of lightning, God strikes you and you walk out and you're never the same. That can happen, but like I said, that's not the normal thing. You need to think of it more like a slow burn. And God is an all-consuming fire. He wants to consume all of you. And the same way that you pursued sin before you knew the Lord is the same way that you should be pursuing sanctification is what Paul is saying. So let's just think about this. This really isn't a hard one for me to think about because I remember what it was like when I wasn't walking with the Lord. I remember what it was like to go after sin. For one, I remember, you know what I needed? I, I totally knew how to sin by myself, absolutely. I didn't need anybody else to sin, but I definitely found a community of people who encouraged me to sin. I could do it by myself, but the community, they weren't to blame, but the community helped me progress in my sin to a greater degree than I would have alone and by myself. So if that's the way that I pursued sin, then I know now in my own life, and I see the New Testament bear this out, I need a community. I need a community of people around me who will not encourage me to unrighteousness, but to righteousness. And, you know, encourage me towards a a life of walking with God. Okay, I also know that when I was pursuing sin, it wasn't like just this thing that just like a bolt of lightning just kind of happened every once in a while in my life. No, it was something I actually planned sin at that time of my life. I'm not saying that I was like super organized in the sense that I like had a calendar and things like that. However, there were definitely very significant moments in my life where I made strategic decisions like that particular night, I will do such and such. I've been invited to this, I'll be a part of this, and I brought myself to these places and spots and people and activities where I knew I'm going to engage in sin. It was a plan in my life. Like I said, the this, this same kind of concept and principle shifts over now to sanctification. If you don't plan, you don't set aside time, you don't you know, think to yourself like, when, you know, we were talking about classes earlier, this like trading in of certain things, that opportunity is there. It's a, I'm going to present my members to now that instead of this, that plan, I think, kind of thing carries uh, forward. And then I also remember, here's another one in my own life. It wasn't only community and it wasn't only planning, but there was also a learning process. There were certain things that I didn't know about, I wasn't exposed to, I was definitely a sinner, but there were certain sins I just hadn't like done yet and experienced yet. I needed to learn certain things in order to begin to enter into that stuff. It's the same thing in your sanctification. You got to learn. A lot of us, you know, we come to Christ, we don't know how to read the Bible, we don't know how to pray, we don't know how to parent, we don't know how to do friendship, we don't know how to handle technology, we don't know how to do these things, we don't know how to handle money, we don't know how to do these things, and so we need to set our minds on the process of learning how to do this stuff. And so he's saying, though, in one sense, You aggressively went after sin. Now aggressively go after your sanctification. So man, that's convicting in my own heart, honestly, to think about that level of pursuit 
for and in sanctification. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, in the days of our sin, we sinned with all our power. There was not one part of us but what became the willing servant of sin. And we went from iniquity into iniquity, but now the cross has made us entirely new, and we have been melted down, poured out into a fresh mold. Now let us yield every member of our body, soul, and spirit to righteousness, even to holiness, till the whole of us, in the wholeness and consequently the holiness of our nature, shall be given unto God. So just taking a real look at how are we pursuing sanctification or that process of growth in the same way that we pursued our life of sin and became enslaved to it and then on the contrary become now enslaved to righteousness and to God. We really need each other for this process because it can be tricky. There's a lot in this world and culture that I heard somebody say one time, Christians, there are some things in life, you know, that we just like receive. I'm a Christian now, you know, before I was a believer, you know, I would have coached softball and now I coach softball. I just receive it. It's not like a, well, you're not allowed to do that. That's of the world, you know, kind of thing. You just receive it. And then there are some things in the culture and in the world that we have to just absolutely reject. There are some jobs and careers that when you become a believer, like you can't do that anymore. You just have to reject it. And then there are some things that we redeem, where we say there was the way I did it then, but now there's the believer's way that I would interact with this or that. And there's the process. Sometimes believers will reject things that should be redeemed and try to redeem things that should be rejected. So we have to really, you know, grow in knowing God's word and kind of walk through these different elements of life in pursuing this sanctification process. Okay, let's read our last little paragraph and uh, we'll be done this morning. He says, verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You couldn't do it. You couldn't actively, progressively grow in righteousness. You were free from it. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? You know, how was it working back then in your life? You know, I know for me, it was miserable. For the end of those things is death. So where does all that slavery get you? Well, it gets death uh, in your soul, your spirit, but also eternally. But now, verse 22, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. So again, there's that process. And its end. What's the end of sanctification? He says, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, so sin leads to death, that's what it pays you, but the free gift, not the wages, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is really helpful, I think, uh, to us. He's basically contrasting the slavery to sin and the slavery to righteousness. But this is really helpful because what it shows us is, because I think a lot of people have a weird idea about heaven and hell. And have a concept of eternal life like um, that God should just let everybody have it. Um, But what Paul is saying here is that eternal life actually before God is an extension of sanctification. In other words, when you see God as a believer and you are set free from all your sin and you cannot sin any longer... 
as you've been going through this sanctification process, it will be a dream come true for you. It won't be this weird, gross thing that is like forced upon you like, I liked my sin, I enjoyed my sin, I wanted to continue in my sin, I did not want to be sanctified, and now God forced this full glorification upon me. No, for us, it will be like, this is a dream come true, this is what I wanted, this is what I longed for. The end of it is eternal life. Uh, but the end of sin is death. You might remember in Luke 16 when Jesus talked about the version of hell or Sheol, the grave that was before Jesus rose from the dead. He talked about a rich man who rejected God and a man named Lazarus, a poor man who loved God, who received God. And Lazarus was in the place of comfort. The rich man was in a place of torment. The rich man asked for many things, the one thing he didn't ever ask for was to go to the place of comfort. He never asked to go there. And I, I think perhaps part of that is because he was in the very place that he wanted to be. He had not wanted God. He had not desired God. He had not wanted sanctification. And eternal life, life everlasting, is the end result of all of that. It's like the fulfillment of the desires of the person who's been impacted by the gospel and wants to, longs to grow. So sin ends in death, but God ends it in life for those who uh, love him and are going through this process of growth and sanctification. So for us, you know, as we close this out, we just want to ask the question, what areas of my life are, am I enslaved? That's really it. What areas of my life and I, am I enslaved? What portions of my life have I you know, been consistently giving over to disobedience and now I'm enslaved as, as a result? And what areas in my life now then can I begin obeying the Lord and walking with him by the power of his spirit and trusting that he will slowly but surely transform uh, my life uh, into the image of Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said at the beginning of this letter. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And what we're learning today is that part of the salvation that God gives is salvation from our own self. The gospel message can set me free from my own self so that I could become a slave unto God. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this um, gift, Lord, that you have blessed us with as believers in Jesus Christ. Father, for those of us who know you and are walking with you, experiencing you right now, Lord, I think each one of us, just with honesty, we look into our own hearts and we just, you know, there's all kinds of different areas. Rough spots in our own nature, rough spots in our own character. Different things that we can easily recognize, that's an area that I know Jesus wants to touch. Lord, we pray that you would now in our hearts and minds, Lord, give us scriptures, give us an ability, Lord, to present, Lord, our members to you more and more, that you might, Lord, transform, Father, our lives, and that we might find ourselves in a place where 
our tastes are now different. Our longings are now different. And we've actually become enslaved to the right thing rather than the wrong thing. Thank you, Lord, that um, you're the one who builds our lives rather than tearing our lives down. So we thank you, Lord, so much for this great gift that you've given us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.